This is a WQXR Cafe concert with cellist Zool Bailey. He'll play three pieces, the prelude to Bach's Cello Suite No. 1, the prelude Saraband Berets 1 and 2, and Jig from the Cello Suite No. 3, and finally Gluck's Dance of the Blessed Spirits from Orpheus and Eurydice. You can subscribe to Cafe Concert Podcasts on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you. 
Thank you. 
We just heard you play some bits of the Bach cello suites. You really tore into some of those. And your recording of them hit number one on the classical billboard chart mm. a few years back. What draws you to the Bach cello suites? I think I speak for all cellists when I talk about Bach being the kind of the centerpiece of our music. It was definitely the beginning of the evolution of the cello. And um, being that the manuscript was lost and that um, there are no real markings and the decisions have to be artist-based um, with uh, historic articles from that time period as kind of a sort of a guide. Unlike all other music, it, it makes us have to reach inside of ourselves and decide what is correct and what is not correct and then stand behind it. And everybody's Bach is very different and everybody's Bach is different every day. I was going to ask whether your approach has changed over time. It changes daily and I, I'm, I'm confident in what I know but it, I feel differently about it. Playing Bach is... I don't jokingly say this. It's like public therapy because you're feeling unbelievable in one moment and then you're feeling very insecure in the next. And uh, it's one of those things that when you play Bach well or you feel that it's going well, there is no greater feeling because it's complete. There's a completion of all of your work and, and emotions. And it can also show you who's boss very quickly. <laughs> Tell me about your cello. The cello, I'm extremely lucky. Every day I pinch myself to play this cello. I met this cello in 1997. Um, I got it here in New York City. Uh, it's made by Matteo Gofriller in 1693. It's a very famous cello that was the cello of, of Misha Schneider of the Budapest String Quartet for 30 or 40 years. Um, very large, pear-shaped, has a rose carved on top under the fingerboard, one of two, I believe, in existence by the maker with the, that rose. The other is played by Leslie Parnas, a very wonderful cellist. It has a very unique sound. It's not been cut down, um, so it's very broad and bassy, but yet has the singing ability to, to play solo as well, the solo lines up top. Usually you sacrifice one for the other. But uh, I can see why Schneider would have loved to have had this in the quartet, and I can also see the extra gear that the extra wood provides when playing in the upper registers for the support in solo lines. It's the first cello that I'd ever heard that was the voice in my head. Before that, I, I assumed that what I heard in my head would, didn't exist or couldn't exist. It's of what a cello should of sound Of what a cello should sound like, which is very much, obviously, cellists try to sound when they, when they play like the human voice. But this was a very distinct, gosh, uh, lyrical, but, but there's grit and breadth and history behind this sound that you only hear in certain kinds of instruments or whatever you, you know, would, are searching for as a, as a musician. So every day I, I wake up and I play about 15 minutes of just open strings and just in shock and awe that an instrument can provide reality to my fantasy in my head. Tell me about the recording you've got coming up. Well, uh, I've done a series of recordings recently with Telarc of live concerts. And this one coming up is unique and, and really I'm, I'm very lucky uh, to have met and worked with Nico Muley uh, with his new cello concerto that was written about a year and a half ago. And I did the U.S. premiere, and we recorded it at the same time, paired with the block Shalomo, uh, which is a piece that I believe should be literally the, the torch for all cellists. I mean, like the Bach cello suites, this is such an amazing, unique piece that is very much underplayed in series around the world that hopefully we can get more cellists to play it publicly. And so that'll be released on Telarc in October, the Block Shalomo and the Nico Muley Cello Concerto. 
As a cellist, is it hard to get presenters to engage you for pieces that are not the Dvorak, not the Rococo variations, not the sort of standard pieces? Great question. Generally speaking, at this stage of my career, a lot of the presenters are my friends. So I typically have a very honest conversation. What's what's the point of this concert? What what are we doing here? Is it a business move? Is it to rile the audience up? Is it to make them to think? Uh, is it surrounded by concerts that are standard fare? Um, and once we've established what it is, then we generally together select the repertoire. I always try to push the audience slightly, even if it's um, pairing a slightly odd concerto with uh, a standard concerto. So, yes, I play a, a lot of Dvorak's and a lot of Tchaikovsky Rococo variations, but many Tchaikovsky Rococos I've paired with the Kabalevsky concerto or Sessons Number no. 2. Or when I play Rococo, I will pair it with the Burke Colnidre or anything that will make people go, oh, I didn't know that was such a beautiful piece to add to things. So I find that the recordings are helping to convince people because it's it's not just an idea, it's an actually proven, especially with the last few, because there are live. So you actually can hear how it comes off in a concert setting. You have found the perfect place to be for a summer festival. <laughs> you have been the artistic director of the Sitka, Alaska <laughs> Summer Music Festival for the past couple of years. How did that come about? What you're seeing in my relaxed state right now and my the smile on my face is what Alaska does to people. I live in El Paso, Texas, and I run a music festival there, El Paso Per Musica, for over a decade. And I enjoy it so much. I enjoy the whole role of and responsibility of trying to impact a community via the arts. And that's not just cello or classical music, but that's through education and all the things that one can do through museums, etc., In fact, let me start by saying I did an interview about two years ago where a gentleman asked me, why in the world would a person who's able to travel anywhere, like yourself, want to go to Alaska? And I looked at him very funnily, and I said, well, you clearly have never been to Alaska, have you? And he said, no. I said, then I can't have this discussion with you. And he got very, very uncomfortable because Alaska is is kind of like the beginning. It's kind of, in a way, in a really weird way, kind of like Bach and Bach's music. It makes you feel grounded and complete. It, it It's oxygen for the soul. And uh, why this was able to fit into my life is that the Sitka Festival runs in June, which is typically a time where I had practiced time to myself and was getting ready for the following season or f- other festival engagements in Janu- uh, July and August. So it was a wonderful addition to my schedule and a polar opposite responsibility from El Paso, which is in January. Um, and polar opposite, I should imagine, weather-wise, too, it's, yeah, it's especially per- it, in it July. Abso- of course. It's mountainous and it's oceans all together. So you, a typical day, people yell, oh, look at the eagle or look at the whale or look at the, the bear or look at, you know, the, it's moose. We at the Sitka Festival also travel the whole state. So I've been able to see through touring places that I've never dreamed possible. So I go Alaska. (laughs) It's wonderful. Unlike most cellists, you also have done some acting. You played a cellist on the TV series, the HBO series Oz, who was in prison for having impaled a fellow musician with your end pin, which I can't imagine you would actually ever do because it would hurt the cello more (laughs) than it would hurt a person in your eyes. Sure. Uh, How did that come about? 
like most unusual things, completely like, blindsided me. I um, let's just start ten second story. When I went to school in Baltimore at the Peabody Conservatory of Music, they were filming the TV show Homicide in town. Uh, I come back early from a music festival one summer, and the school called me to ask if I could teach Ned Beatty, the actor, how to fake play the cello. So I, I, of course, I agreed, and I went over there, and I went to the set, and I ended up demonstrating and things like that. I ended up, in that regard, playing the soundtrack to that episode, where it was the Handel Halverson Passacaglia, and I, a couple of other things, met the people and the producers of that show. I subsequently moved to New York about two months later to go to Juilliard. And while here, I was approached by the same people to ask if I would consider being me, excluding the murder, in a revolving character series where the core characters were part of the show, but everyone else could be revolved in and out to keep the diversity of the show. And I asked, you know, what does that entail? Because I don't want to be an actor. I want to be a cellist. And they said, well, this is this, this is that. And uh, they had me saying really horrible things on the show like really bad things. It's a prison show. It's on HBO. There are no rules. And I I said, um, I really feel uncomfortable. My clientele, my audience would not understand that this is fake. And they will see me, especially those who have, I haven't met yet, as that person. And I really can't be that if person. If you're playing yourself. Essentially, or yes. Playing. And if I'm playing a, a, a performing cellist. <clears throat> so my my dialogue was cut down to bare minimum. Literally me talking about my cello and looking sad. And so I, asked, I said, I also have one other stipulation. I, I see this as the ultimate outreach for audiences that may or may ne- never go into see a cello recital or this or that. Would you allow me to choose my own music? And so they did. They allowed me to choose my own music. And um, I chose Bach and Paganini and all these other things. So I didn't want to dumb down classical music. I wanted them to hear it as pure as possible. And then the whole murder, um, they had come up with me uh, doing some horrible things. And I said, again... I'm really sorry, and I'm, you're going to cut me from the entire show with my big mouth, but I can't do those things because people will see me in a way that I don't want to be perceived. And I was told that, um, then how would you suggest you be in prison? You've got to do something. I said, well, why don't I harpoon a violinist with my cello? And they thought that was a brilliant idea. And so that's how it all came about very quickly because that's kind of a running joke with the cellists you know, walking around with this um, post at the bottom to, to hold the cello up. Amazing to me that in 2014, that's the power of television right there. I was on a total of about eight minutes of TV in 1998 and 2002, and the first season and the last season. And people still remember the power of that show. That's a big tribute to Barry Levinson and Tom Fontana. Well, obviously, Barry Levinson was... was um, was homicide, but Tom Fontana and his reach and his impact that he made, because before that show, there was no Sopranos. There was no hour-long dramas. And because of that show and the impact that that made, and which launched a hundred careers of actors, we are still talking about it. And it's, it's, it's reached very far into the world of both television and music. Any more acting in your future? I hope not. <laughs> I, I, I love that idea of, of bringing the cello to audiences. I play on TV shows occasionally as you know, myself or whatnot. But um, no, I'm not, I'm not searching those things out. It's a whole different art form. I also have much more respect for what those people have to do because it's, it's like making a recording. They have to do the same scene a hundred times and cry a hundred times and every different angle. And I, I would say if I were to be an actor 
based on what I do, it'd be more kind of a Broadway actor where it's a theater one-shot deal, no retakes. Uh, it's amazing how they are able to generate and channel uh, for television. My hat's off to them.